1: You rescue me so I can stay and say, I am a child of God. You split the sea, you split, you split the sea so I can walk right through it. My feet are drowned in perfect love. I'm here at River City. We start out every service by reading a psalm from the lectionary. It's an act in which we are connected not only with the word, but with other churches who are reading and praying through this scripture as well on a Sunday. We always want to remember that the, Jesus came just not for us, but for the global church and the global bride. Um, we are all connected by his crucifixion. Um, today we're reading Psalm 130, and it says... My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, for the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him, in plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. May we bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we just thank you for this Sunday in which we can gather and worship you, that we can connect with each other, that May we understand that we are just one seat at the table, that your table stretches from North America to South America, from China to Asia, from Africa, Father God. You are everywhere. You are in every nook and cranny. You are in every natural wonder. You are in hearts. You are in houses. You are in the woods, Father God. Thank you, God, that you are just perfect and holy and that we are able to find mercy with you, God may our hearts that may not that may be holding on to something give that to you today father god this is an invitation god that those things that we think are not redeemable the things that we've done that are so awful god that we have an opportunity to place those things at your feet thank you for jesus that he intercedes for us daily when we are unable to find the words or that our hearts are so broken that you have left a perfect solution Lord, we love you. We thank you for friends and families. And may we enjoy this Sunday with each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank
0: you, Jesus.
1: Thank you, Jesus.
0: God for the blood of the lamb that sets us free, that washes us clean, that makes us pure and righteous and holy in your sight that allows us a relationship with you, to trust you, to see you intimacy with you being able to love you freely thank you God Jesus we don't forget what you've done for us past it we remember God we remember you, we remember who you are that picture of grace of love, of such deep love flowing deep and wide just a pool a fountain of love so God we love you we love you back (laughs) we love you back wish there was a better way to show you how much we love you even than just praise and worship. Just an expression. We know that God as we walk with you, that expression can also be shown in our love for others God. That they would know you, that they would know this love. That they would know this Jesus. Not what the world says that Christians are, but The Bible and what our testimonies say that Jesus is. So we trust you for who you are, God. We trust your ways. We just say today that your plans are higher than ours. We want to dedicate newly every single morning our days to you because you're worthy. And your ways are better than ours. So, God, we trust you today. And let this just set a precedence for the rest of our week to wake up every day with you and worship with you. To just imagine a life where all of our days start like this, just in your presence. And they go from there. There's just no wrong direction we can take in your presence. And We trust you. So, God, just be with the rest of this service and just bless everyone that comes up this stage. God, we love you. Let your spirit move. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: All right, so my goal today is to not preach incredibly long because I feel like we're supposed to end the service with some solitude and some, it's going to be hard to explain, but a space to breathe out. Um, this passage that I'm going to read you today is so preached. It's usually preached at Easter. I'm probably going to get a call from someone that I didn't preach this on Easter. Um, because we're in Mark, we just preach what comes up, right? And so far, we've gotten through 15 chapters almost. And we've seen that Mark's idea is to show the identity of Jesus more clearly. And for us, the reason we chose this book was because we felt like as a community we needed to focus in on jesus and let the word speak for itself let the spirit and community confirm those things so we've been looking at the life of jesus for over a year now i think 50 something times we've preached this all the way through the book there's only a couple left and mark is trying to paint a picture of the identity of jesus you see that in chapter one verse one this is the story the Son of God, right? And he tries to paint that picture. And all kinds of people throughout this book has responded to Jesus differently. And I think it's neat how many of you have had different chapters that have really stepped in and done something for you. There's been something that's been illuminated. Maybe you didn't really know how humble he was. Or maybe you didn't know about the miracles that he performed. And something came to life in you when you saw that. Maybe you didn't know how well-spoken he was when being challenged. Maybe you didn't understand how human he was and the struggles that he had or how abandoned he can be by the people around him. Maybe you didn't know how he selected the people to walk with him. But in everything that we've done, we've tried to paint a clear picture of Jesus. It's my belief, honestly, that as believers, we should have a good theology of who Jesus is. And I'm not saying that when you read Mark, you have all the answers because I don't believe that. I don't believe that that's the way it is. I believe there are always things that we're struggling and wrestling through. We're working on our own salvation with fear and trembling, and that's just the way it is. Without that, there's no need for the spirit and community. There's no need. We just have all the answers. Let's do this, right? It's like God's promise book. That's all we need. I got his promises. You can just walk away. No, that's not how it is. We always need to be throwing ourselves on Jesus every morning about the things that we wrestle with, and that is good to wrestle with things, but in this, he's inviting us through the nuances of this book to just— See more clearly. I hope that you see him more clearly now. I hope that you have a better picture than you did a year ago if you've been here throughout that. If not, and I would say this, it's not my job to paint the picture of Jesus for you. It's no preacher's job. I affirm what God is already doing. So you have to be investing yourself into these things outside of this space. This cannot just be limited to here. Just preaching through this book, one of the reasons we did that is because a lot of people do not understand the gospel. They can't even express the faith that they have. That's just a common problem we have in Christianity, but it doesn't end by us preaching through the book of Mark, right? It ends by us diving into and understanding these things, like I would if I were preparing for a fantasy football draft. Many of you can relate like I would if I were preparing to know who the Hawks are going to get in free agency today, which I do those things, and I have no problem investing my time in those things. Many of us have other things that we invest our time in. I want Jesus to be so brightened that we want to stay up at 1230 and look at Bleacher Report to find out if LeBron James is coming. He's not coming to Atlanta. He's never coming here, guys. So I want that kind of illumination to draw me to the Gospels today, tomorrow, with my family, where it's not like my kids are like, why is this so stale and der, 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 with the Christianity, that, but it's like this natural thing that comes out of like a place that I love, right? That's what I want for all of us that we know it like that, that we love it like that, that it comes up like that, that it's not just because it's rules, but it's like there's a definite affection that you're talking about when you talk about Jesus, like you would the Hawks. I keep going to that. Man, somebody talked me going into the Hawks thing the other day, and I went to this pre draft thing. And we traded Luka Doncic, and I freaked out in the setting. Like, I was, was, you know, I'm I'm just going to move on. I'm sorry. So, currently, here's where we are in this passage. Jesus has been sentenced. He is now getting through being flogged, which we learned last week was many people are killed just in that process. Many people lose their eyesight. His skin is hanging from his back, and he's now carrying the cross, which, just for you to know, it wasn't shaped... Like, there wasn't a top part, it was just like a T. He's carrying it, it weighs about 30, 40 pounds, and that's kind of where we step in here. A lot of people at this point have decided this mission has failed. His disciples are hiding right now. Other people are starting to insult him. People are frustrated with him. He literally has no one around him fighting for him. He is on his own, right? He is walking the walk to the cross. This is a passage that we do the worship journey every week. This is something we do. What's the worship journey for Sunday? Because all of this is worship, not just worship music. And I could not lock into the worship journey. I read this passage a hundred times. I read the other versions of it in the Gospels through other lenses. I could not land, and I feel like God at the end of the week was like, you're not supposed to land this. They need to see the cross for themselves. They need to perceive what's happening for themselves. They need to have their own response. You've heard the story too much. You understand, right? John 3.16, what is it? Nobody was just blown away when we said that, right? Right? It's become an inundated thing on a billboard. There's something that needs to happen with this. God wants you to have a response that's your response to this, not your parents' response. And so when I read this, that's my prayer. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, this. and I just want to read it to you. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This is a big statement from Paul. This is the crucifixion story. The word crucifixion actually comes, the word excruciating comes out of that. So an idea of what the cross is, is excruciating, which I'm not even sure if we've ever been in excruciating pain. Some of us have. But that word comes out of this. It's a nasty thing. It is rugged. It's beautiful only because we understand what came, but there's nothing beautiful about it. It's awful. It's the worst way someone could have died. It's really like a slap in the face. And so I want to read to you Mark 15, 21 through 41, and then we're going to pray. I just ask that you would see this like new. Help yourself to read it like you're just reading it for the first time. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross, Jesus' cross, that is. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them. They decided what each should take, and it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Just as they're walking by, right? He's in a very public place. People are on their way to the Passover. That's just a very people are seeing this a lot. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. That's three hours of darkness for those of you that are mathematicians. In the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine. In another gospel, he actually mentions that he's thirsty. So there's a little story here. Fills it with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let's see if whether Elijah will come Take him down. This could have extended his life a little bit. Continuing on. Is that all we got? I didn't read this part yet, guys. Gosh. (laughs) And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said... Truly, this man is the Son of God. This is the first time in 15 chapters someone has actually recognized Jesus for who he is. This is the first time. The very first time. There, was a, there were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James, the younger, and Joseph, and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. I'm not going to spend time on this part of this passage that women are always mentioned with Jesus, but it cost him something to do this. And I think it should, we should be aware in 2018 of the way that he saw women and the way that he put them in positions that were beneficial to the whole community, the way that he empowered women, the way that he, there was always women around in the most important situations not being qualified by Jesus in some certain way but being liberated. Jesus had a way of liberating the parts of community that others wouldn't liberate. And I just think that's not a theme of today's message, but we need to notice that. Like who who would Jesus liberate around our lives? That the status or the norms or the elephants of our communities wouldn't. I think it's important. So, anyway. So a normal entry if you were carrying a cross is there would be four officers and you would be in the middle and you would walk the longest route to the grave site, to the site where you would be crucified. And the reason you would walk that route is to show everyone you're walking by, do not do what he did. His is a little unique, King of the Jews, but he, the, the soldiers, the government wanted everyone to see, this is what happens to people who do this. And somewhere along the way, Jesus gets weary because his back is shredded Literally bleeding out, carrying a 30 to 40 pound cross, awful, and they call on a guy named Simon from Cyrene. And it's so interesting to me. This guy, this guy is from a faraway land. He is coming to Jerusalem to have Passover in Jerusalem. This is like a dream for him to come and do this. A spiritual p- pilgrimage, really. It would be like the pinnacle of his spirituality to come and do this. And if you're a Roman soldier and you see any citizen, the common way that you would let a citizen know that you are now taking over their life for the next little bit, is you'd walk over with your spear and you'd tap their shoulder and they would know, oh, here I go. Guess I'm doing this for the next little bit. And You do it or you lose your life. This is what happened to him. He just so happens to be on his way to do this awesome Passover thing and is involved in now carrying the cross of this criminal, which interestingly enough, was probably pretty frustrating for him. He was probably not super pumped to have traveled all that way, saved all that money to get himself there, to get to the city, and then be tapped on the shoulder to have to do this for this criminal. This is probably like, for him, honestly, he's probably like, well, I have no choice, so I'm doing it, but he's probably wanting this person to die pretty quickly so he can get back to the Passover. But what he doesn't know is he is now, for the first time, walking with God. Now for the first time in his, in his life, he is actually in the closest proximity of God that he will ever be. He's frustrated, he's initiated into service, and he's now exactly in God's will. This to me, this person to me became, after reading this passage so many times, the most interesting person here. I love how we have these ideas as Christians even. This is the way that I have to do this. This is the way that I even have to worship. This is my construct of what it looks like. And how the moments that mean the most usually in our lives are the moments that we are interrupted. Are we interruptible by Jesus? And I think if you're from a charismatic history, I think structure... That's the idea you need to interrupt structure because structure limits Jesus and there's no freedom if there's structure. But I'm not going to let people off the hook who are from a different history. Sometimes your freedom and your open spaces need to be interrupted to fall back in love with Jesus. Does that make sense? It's a very big deal. There's no person who's, not, who's living it exactly like they need to be We're all needing Jesus to interrupt our lives, and he does this for Simon, and Simon's got to carry this cross. This is such a, like this, he literally becomes the example of, like, carry your cross, right? Like, fellowship in the sufferings with Christ. He's he's the picture of this happening, and he's carrying Jesus' cross, carries it all the way there. They get there. The most, and there's a couple parts of this I'm just not getting into. I'm not going to talk about that the place is called the Skull Hill and that some people think that's Goliath's skull that David brought there and that's why they call it that. I'm not gonna talk about how they offered him a drink that was actually like a sedative that would actually kill the pain and he didn't want it. I'm not gonna talk about the fact that he didn't have a little cute white robe on. He was just birthday naked on a cross. Like we don't see that a lot. Like we don't see that picture a lot, right? I was looking for one this morning. I didn't put the one where he's completely naked because I felt like it would be hard to focus. That's him. I'm not going to talk about that, though. I am going to talk about how this is what this whole thing is building towards, and the crucifixion is mentioned about that much. It's interesting to me. And they crucified him. That's it. If you want to read about crucifixion, the other Gospels mention so much more, but in respect to what Mark is trying to do, why is he doing that? Why is he not getting into the fact that you had to lay on the ground, you had to nail him in, and they had to put a little thing on his feet, and then... They had to bring the cross up, and they had to do the little thing under his feet because it would rip through his, what that you had to, like, if you would breathe in, down, but if you couldn't get up, you couldn't breathe out. And why, why, do, why does he not mention all of these excruciating things that are disgusting and awful and terrible? Why does he not mention the agony? And I think this is the reason, because he understands his community so well that we would maybe make this passage about who we can be angry at instead of what Jesus is doing. And so there's not much mentioned. And I know for me, I definitely like a winner. And this is the whole message of Mark. People are mad that he is not destroying their enemies. So you get to the crucifixion, which is the nastiest thing in the Bible. And Mark spins, and he's the most vibrant of all of the writers of the Gospels to me. He's the one that says the things about the demoniac, says the things about the miracles, talks about these crazy things, gets to his biggest opportunity, and he's like, and they crucified him. I'm like, come on, dude. There's more than they did. That's more than that. They did more than they, and they crucified him. He's trying to emphasize another part of this. He's trying to emphasize how people perceive the crucifixion. He's trying to emphasize the voices. So you start to see these people crop up. You start to see the chief priests walk by and say to him, come down from the cross so that we will believe you, not knowing that that's exactly the reason why we'll end up believing him. That he doesn't come down from the cross. That he doesn't come down from the cross shows that there's no limit to what he will do. That he doesn't come down from the cross shows that he can make it through abandonment by anyone. That he can make it through insult. That he can make it through, I'm sure there's some kind of blasphemy in that. That he can make it through... The religious structure that's supposed to support him and celebrate him, if anything, this literally is a group of people, the chief priests and the scribes that Jesus would have hoped would be like, this is the answer. They represent the offices of the church. He can make it through when those offices fail. That to me is massive. All the way to the end, he makes it through. There's nothing that he doesn't make it through. He's limitless. Then the most interesting thing happens. People respond, and even the guys beside him, like the other passages get more, but they derive, derailed him, derived? Der derived, derived him. That's what I was saying. Well, I don't know what that means, but I think it means they said things that he didn't enjoy. Even those guys, right? getting this picture that he's always with the sinner, always with the sinner. even in death, he's in between two sinners. Everyone sees him and hurls insults at him, says things to him, but then it becomes pitch black. So humans respond and then literally nature has a response to the crucifixion. It goes black for three hours. Do not run through this part. If it went black right now outside for three hours, you guys would be going nuts. Brad would be gone from Publix. There'd be no milk anywhere. We would have rooms full of milk and bread. It went black out. There's no explanation. Even in Luke 23, it says this about it. While the sun's light failed, the sun's light does not fail. Nature is affected by this. Humans are affected wrongly. Nature's like, humans ain't getting it. We're going dark, guys. Zero, dark, 30 for nature. We're going dark. And not like last year when we all set up for the dark day and it was like, wait a second, that was it? (laughs) Who was a little bit disappointed by that? This guy was, yeah. This was not like that. The interesting thing was they still hurled insults in the dark. Can you imagine that happening and still are insulting Jesus? If I was Jesus, I'd be like, and he was under such agonizing pain, he couldn't have done this. But he's like, are you noticing how dark it is right now? in the middle of the day. It's interesting to me, right? And and some people think this is the indictment on sin and it's how we highlight and emphasize that Jesus is the light of the world and he is the light of the world. In this way, he is a metaphoric light, a spiritual light in a world that is dark. I think it's nature having an actual response to the massive moment of what this is. So all of these things are responding in different ways. And then the the saddest part of the gospel, which I have no idea how to theologically explain, explain, is Jesus' agonizing plea. Why have you forsaken me? But the best that I can come to through study and prayer is that Jesus taking on the weight of sin, which he did, and for the first time feeling the effects of it. He had no understanding of the effect of it. Being separated from his father and the intimacy now not what it was. I think I don't think it's even the weight of sin that was painful. I think it's the lack of the kind of intimacy that he had that made him cry out. To be that intimate for that long, to be completely in step, completely dependent, I'll do whatever you say, then to carrying sin in such a way that there's distance between you and the Father for the sake of the other. I think that to him was so much more painful than anything that he was experiencing. I think it was more painful than the spear. I think it was more painful than the gasps. I think it was more painful than his feet and hands. I think it was more painful than his disciples being away. I think he had found such uniqueness in his connection with the Father that to not have it would be hell, it would literally be hell, and he dies for it. The next thing is, this is just an interesting, the strength. When someone's dying on the cross, they don't cry out at the end. They whimper into death because of the agony and just for you to know, this is John. This is from John 10, 17 through 18. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. So the idea that he was made to do this, he chose to do this. This was a, cho- this was a choice. To serve like this was a choice. He could have at any moment in a lot of these scenarios been like, actually, no, I'm good. And I'm doing this. And I'm good. You, you guys continue. I'll do this over here. He chose to do this. Even in the previous passage, Pilate was trying to talk him into not doing this. He chose to do it. There was no one who made him do this. So his strength is shown through this. And I I listened to a message this week about this. And somebody wanted to really emphasize, no, he's, you know, like real men love Jesus. Jesus is the most powerful. And he is. He is that. But he shows his power differently, right? Like to Jesus, strength is associating with those who are more lowly. It's not... I am really this, but I'll do that for a little bit. It's, it's him saying, no, this is strength. For me to put myself in this spot, to wash your feet, this is actual strength. So the idea that, no, like we're just going to pull up our bootstraps and we're going to work our way through it. And my daddy taught me this. And no, it's this is why I came. I came to die, to spill my life for you, and it's not going to look pretty, and no one's going to understand it. No one's going to be clapping for me. They're all going to run for me. I came to do that. I came to put myself in the littlest of the little spots to serve, because it had to be that way. This is strength to Jesus. So when he gasped, when he says this, his last breath, it's astounding. No one should have strength here. And he says it, but he, he gave his life for us, right? Like that was... And then these last two things to me, soldier, is the one that makes me want to. I love Simon. And I, to me, this passage is about Simon and this soldier responding. This soldier has killed people. This soldier understands battle and war. He was the captain of this battalion, which we've already learned is at least 600 guys. He is a man's man in a Roman culture. I'm not sure if you've watched any of the shows from that time period. They're not real. It's not actual footage. But it depicts how they were, and it's not lovely. It's not. He is one of those who has traveled with Jesus through all of these things. And he's now seeing Jesus on the cross, and he's having a legitimate response. This is different. He knows power. That's, uh, he knows abusive power. He knows how to make someone submit. He knows how to. He's got a whole group of guys with him that will do whatever he wants. And he looks at the cross, having known that kind of power, and says, truly, this is the Son of God. This is what Jesus has been waiting for, for 15 chapters here, for 20-something chapters there, for 30 chapters there, for the whole three-year period. He's been locking in for someone to finally see his real identity. Mark 1:1. He says it in the beginning of this book, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the statement the centurion made truly This is the Son of God. It takes this much time for one person. His disciples aren't even there. One person recognizes in the way that he has power, in the way that he loves selflessly, in the way that he gives everything for the other, this must be the Son of God. This isn't. The other guys are saying, come down, because that's how you prove that you're a king, because a king would never allow himself to be taken, right? A king would never be on a cross. If you were really a king, you would come down right now. They didn't even have a framework. He had to rewrite the frameworks. This kingship is different. This kingship beats death. Our best weapon in war. I'll kill you. Okay, you can kill me, but I'm just going to come back to life. This G- I'm not. This is Jesus. I'm just going to come back to life. And it's interesting that over in another passage, Matthew 27, 51 through 54, goes just like gospel's gone wild. Like, it is. This is just... And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, so nature responding again. Earthquake. Darkness and earthquake. My son Noah is done. Like, he will never be the same. Like, he hears a whisper in the wind. He's like, Daddy, there's a a hurricane coming. Buddy, there's no hurricanes unless it's on the ocean. Are we close to the ocean? No. If he saw this, there's now a an earthquake and the earth shook it, but not. This is the best part. And the tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints had, who had fallen asleep, were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were there with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with us. Can you imagine? Okay, first of all, it's dark there's an earthquake, and then your grandmother and great-grandmother show up. <laughs> and you're like, Bubber was mine, and Nanny, because I'm from the country, right? Bubber and Nanny and Pawpaw start coming out. Is Something's different, I'm taking notice, right? People are still insulting Jesus. And I say that to highlight how completely moronic it is, but how we do the same thing. Jesus shows himself to be so true in so many ways in every way possible, but we've locked into such a system that maybe keeps us safe and keeps us in power so we're unwilling to be changed by a Jesus that would die. Don't be the same. We are the same. I I sit mostly in the seat of the people who will deride Jesus. That is mostly where I'm at. I do not like to be interrupted. I do not want to be interrupted. And almost all of the most bestest things in my life have come in interruption with Jesus whether it's an in, somebody at a gas station, when I've decided to put down even studying the word to preach for my kids, when I've decided to go outside, when i decided to walk and just take in nature, when something happens that I did not want to happen, for me specifically, and Tom and some other people, an injury, my back went out three months ago, that, to me, is like, I'm ready to curse. Like, that's what that is to me. I'm like, you're, this is impeding what God could do through me all the while not knowing God's doing some of the best work he's ever done. And that's what it is to me about Simon that is mind-boggling. This guy is on his way to do his worship duty and finds Jesus for the first time. And his story doesn't even end there. Can you pull up the passages for me? It mentions when I read Mark, he had some sons, right? We just skipped through that, right? So this guy, we hear in Romans 16, greet Rufus... Simon's son, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. This is the impact of this. This Simon, unexpectedly brought in to carry the cross of Jesus, now has a son who is dearly loved by Jesus and Paul. So something shifted his whole life when he saw Jesus and slowed his rhythm enough to be interrupted by this Jesus that it impacted even what we receive. Now, the Roman centurion, I don't know exactly what happened. There are some stories that I read that I'm not sure if they're true so I'm not going to be a heretic today. But he has changed. He is changed by this. One of the stories mentions that he definitely receives Christ. He becomes someone who begins to share the gospel, travel all over. People who are willing to be interrupted by who Jesus really is will inherit all of the kingdom of God. And so for us today, James, could you come up? Can you pull up the Hebrews 4.16? The there's so many aspects of this passage I could preach. We could take this passage and spend the next 50 weeks in it. But the part about the, the veil being torn, it's no small thing. That's a series in its own. But it was about 82 feet high it was torn from top to bottom. It had the width of a hand. So, And we mentioned in staff, it was torn from top to bottom to show that no man was up there. There's no 82-foot tall guy. I've never seen anybody that tall. And it's torn, that, and that represents this place where only priests could go even once a year for the people. Now there's access, right? So in this passage, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, which is that throne, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So here's my kind of prayers for you as before we let James do what he's about to do. Be interruptible. Be interruptible. Be interruptible by the Jesus that dies for others. Be interruptible by a king who will be seen wrongly to be received rightly later. Be interruptible when you're in power. Be interruptible as a boss. Be interruptible as someone who is... Logistically strong, be interruptible with a schedule, be interruptible with your ideals and your goals. Jesus is interrupting all of us in the best ways possible, and only the best things will come. No one knew that while he had to carry his cross, carry the cross of a sinner, and not go have Passover, which he'd looked forward to for years, he was actually a part of history's most significant thing. If you're being interrupted right now with something that you have no control over, I want to say that I'm praying for you and I am, but please begin to see it through the eyes of Jesus. Please begin to see that he is real in your interruption, in your sickness, in your anger, in your lack of being able to accomplish what you thought. Please be able to see that he is there with you and know that if it's him, it's going to be the best thing that could ever happen. Number two, sight like the centurion. And this is one of those things. I can't just pray, go be the centurion. But you can pray a prayer, God, let me see you clearly. Let me see you clearly. And approach the throne of grace boldly. That is an action step for you. Why would you approach grace? Grace is the idea of not receiving what you deserve. Approach it boldly. Don't question it. Don't be like, nah, it's probably for them, but, but I abandoned Jesus. Nah, it's probably for them, but I would drink that opiate thing that he turned away, because that's really what it was. He, he's to the end for you. Grace is for the things that you don't deserve, to receive mercy, which is the added. It's not even not getting what you don't deserve, it's getting, it's getting what you don't deserve then. It's, it's beautiful. The way I want to end this, and prayer teams are going to come up um, now, if you don't mind. And I'm going to have you guys focus in for the next few moments on this image. James is going to play some music for us, and we're going to create a space for the Father to speak to you. Does that make sense? So if you want to stand, if you want to go to the back, if you want to get comfortable, this atmosphere Maybe you guys can sit during this until people come up. That would be great. Um, You can sit right here if you want. This is a space, Father, that we want to give to you. As I prayed through this week, the number one thing I heard was you want to speak to your children through these things. That we would have our response to you. That's a genuine response. In your name we pray. Jesus, we thank you for this community and this body. Mostly, we thank you for what you've done for us, that you do for us daily. It is a daily thing. It's not a one-time thing. We are saved every morning, again and again. Today, let us walk as dead people who are alive in a city. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys.